This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Every great writer has a distinctive voice, whether it's best-selling authors like Stephen King, screenwriters like Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino, or even film critics like Bharat Rajarangan or the late Roger Ebert, all have unique voices that can be instantly recognised just by reading a few paragraphs or pages. So, how does a writer develop their voice? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is James Tu. He's a screenwriter, playwright, former film critic and author of the book called Paluka 12 Rounds to Fatherhood. Welcome to the show, James. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. So James, you used to mentor me when I was doing my internship. That's now 10 years ago in 2014. And I always remember you stressing the importance of finding your voice as a writer. So what does finding your voice um, as a writer mean? Um, and, and why is it important to do so? I, I think maybe my perspective has changed a little bit in the, in the decades since, since we... Um since we were working together, right. I think um, if you if you were to kind of, I guess I bristle a little bit because uh, finding your voice is kind of it's kind of become a thing that um, people who teach writing or want to teach writing kind of latch onto as as a way to suck people in. <laughs> and um, if you if you were to kind of search, I guess online for like what's the best way to find your voice, anything that you find is going to be written in the last five years by people who write lists and not by actual serious. Right writers and so um i think uh it's it's a little bit more complicated i i think i think um but i I certainly think it's important because um if you're not writing in your own voice then you're just writing in somebody else's and you'll never do somebody else's voice as well as they do so certainly important yeah but what is that what exactly does it mean for people who may just be getting into writing um sometimes when they think of you know writing they're just thinking of you know okay as long as i construct uh, grammatically correct sentences um you know there are no spelling errors then i'm a writer right um, but that's not necessarily having your own unique voice or anything like that so what exactly does having a voice mean yeah i mean i think i think it's comprised of a couple of things probably i guess i would say uh, a point of view is important um i would say uh it's so when I, when I think about nowadays, when I think about what, what is your voice or what, what influences your voice or something like that, it's, I, I, I kind of think about it more as um, a series of permissions of, did you, did you feel permission to, um, to be yourself and to be honest in the way that you're writing? Right. Um, and so I think when we're talking about, or when people are talking about finding your voice and, and speaking in your voice, it's more, um, do you do you feel that you've been given permission or you have the permission that you need to to be yourself because i think if you if you you know your friends can tell you what your voice is if if you're you know you're going out on a blind date and someone's like what's he like you can say you know he's he's very taciturn or he's funny he's quiet he's whatever people know what your voice is it's just right. are you able to kind of um shamelessly put it into your writing you know i think like when i first started writing uh i was a writer for this website called joeblow.com and mm-hmm. and you know, when I got that job, I think I was I was either 17 or 18, and um, it was definitely not a good writer. But what I was was, um, I just wrote as myself, right? And and I think that was ultimately what got me the job. Not that I had an, an awesome grasp of the language or, or the kind of structural requirements of, of journalism. I just wanted to write in my own voice. 
So you have a very distinct and recognisable voice yourself, right? Um, from the stuff I've read over the years of um, your work, um, it's it's very funny. It's incredibly funny. Um, and your humour sometimes can be very dark. Um, it could be very serious circumstances. For example, your book, um, Paluka, 12 Rounds to Fatherhood, it is a very serious subject matter. It's about infertility. It's about um, you being very vulnerable. It's about the hardships that you and your wife go through through IVF. But the book is so funny from start to finish. It's also, and, and not only is it funny, there is a sense of sincerity and warmth, right? It doesn't feel like it's just punching down or just trying to be sarcastic for the sake of it. It feels very sincere. How did you go about discovering your own unique writing style? Uh, thanks, first of all, for, for, for saying the nice things about the book. Um, I think it's, it's a relatively straightforward journey to mm. get there, which is that you just have to keep writing. Um, but it's, it's difficult. It's straightforward, but it's difficult because um, it, it's not easy to keep writing when you're writing poorly. And I think, um, you know, over the past few years, because I have had kids and so kind of taking a step back from, from writing myself a little bit and, and in, you know, filling the vacuum of that, um, moved more into teaching and lecturing for the past couple of years. And, and one of the things that I see a lot is that um, when, when you're a young writer uh, on your journey, the, the, the stuff that you're writing is, is ne it's never in your voice. It's always, um, it's always a derivation of something that you've, you've seen somewhere else. And, right. and, and, and that, which is only natural because you read something which inspired you to write. And so you're writing a version of that. And, and because you don't have the, the understanding of craft and structure, there's no um, infrastructure of your own to hang the words on. And so you use somebody else's. And so I think the only way to get to your, like there's, there's like a, a, a width of, of just nonsense and derivatives that you just need to work your way through and and just the only way to do it is just keep writing and keep writing and keep writing you break through that stuff and and over the course of that you kind of find your own voice um and and you shed all the other influences that you have and, and then and then after that then then you're writing in your own voice but i i really think that the only way to get there is to um just to keep writing and, and, and just and write and write and write. I, I really think that there's, 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 I've been writing professionally for like 20 years. I'm yet to see the, um, the, the hack of like, you know, do this once every essay and you'll be Dostoevsky. It's just like, <laughs> there's no such thing. You just have to write. Right. Um, to go, you know, jump, jumping off the point you just brought up, how do you know, especially early on when you, when you first start, how do you know whether you're finding your own voice or if you're just emulating another person. Yeah, it's tough, right? It's, um, I think, I, I, it's tough. Yeah, it's definitely tough. I, and I think it's fair even to say some people don't have a voice. There, there are different, there right. are different kinds of writers that that are that are excellent in different ways. I think, you know, if if you read Nabokov, who's is uh, so incredibly. Um, beautiful with his language and he has such an incredible voice um it's not the same as if you read somebody um maybe like uh, if you read if you even read a play like if you read um glengarry glenn ross mm -hmm. uh, if, if you read the action description it's like three words they're in an office but if you read august sausage county by tracy letts it's like a whole page of description and beautiful prose to describe these things and and i think there are just different um different ways that people are excellent at writing and 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 for me even i could say that because I have a voice, it it 
made me weaker in, in certain aspects of writing because I just relied on the voice. And even in my kind of early days as a, as a script doctor, when I was working in, in Hollywood, like I was not, I was not being asked to write scripts. I was being asked to fix people's dialogue because that was, I had that, I had the right. voice, but I didn't really have an understanding of any, anything else. I had to learn that over time. And so I think um, it's that question some people may never know, and but but they may be still be great writers. Also, it's, they they have excellent um, understanding of, of of structure or of story or um, you know very thematic concerns and stuff like that. But um, if 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 you do have a voice, I think I think you know. I I feel like you know. Um, you 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 have a personality. You're you know. I, I think you know. I, I, I think you know when you have it, and I think you know when you're you're being somebody else. Um, the difficulty, I think, is not so much in acknowledging that. It's more in um, it was something that I found very difficult at, this, at the beginning of my career, which was understanding um, what you wish your voice was and what mm. your voice actually is, which is that right. when I was much younger, I, I really wanted to write Blade Runner. And, and so I was writing science fiction, hardball, kind of noir stuff. And um, one day uh, an agent told me that it was why I, I, I had queried him uh, for representation and, and, and he, had, he, had, he had said he would love to read my script. And then he read my script and, and he was like, this script is trash. Why would you write this? when you sent the funniest query letter that I've ever read. And, 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 and I didn't want to write comedy at the time, but when he said that, it made me realize that, that my voice is suited for comedy. It's not suited for hardball science fiction. And I think that's actually the more difficult thing because it's a difficult thing to let go of. You, you have this impression of yourself uh, as, as one thing and, and um, the skill set that you have is actually something else. So I want to park that thought for just a second and, and I'll, I will get back to it. But just to get to know you and, and how you honed your craft um, over the years, um, were there, who were your key, um, whether it's literary or cinematic um, influences and how did they shape you as a writer? How did they help you find your voice? Yeah, so I mean, this goes back to what I was saying about the permissions thing. So if you if you talk about if you want to answer the question of like who is the most influential on me as a writer, the answer would have to be my dad because my dad is the person who I look up to my entire life, and he shaped how I look at the world. Right. But he, he's never written anything so much as a text to tell me that writing is stupid. So <laughs> the the people who really influence my voice and the way that I write are the people who um, gave me permission to write that way. So for example, um, like. Like David Mamet was a huge influence on me when I watched Glenn Gary Glenn Ross for the first time, it changed my life because he he was the person who gave me permission to write stories where it's just people talking. Because up until that point, I thought it was there has to be action. My dad just watched fucking like Space Marines and <laughs> soldiers and ninjas and stuff. I thought there had to be fighting and and serious life and death physical stakes. And 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 David Mamet is the person who gave me the permission to just write um, people talking. Um, you know, if you if you think about um, my book, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the people who probably were most influential on that was, um, there was a guy, Dave Eggers, who wrote a book. Uh, I mean, he was a short story writer and, and he wrote a, a memoir called um, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. You um, gave me that book had, many years ago. Yeah. He had this really long um, uh, preamble, which was like rules, suggested rules for the enjoyment of this book, a right. suggested soundtrack. Um, in the book, there's a lot of asides, there's footnotes, there's diagrams, and that gave me permission to play with the form. And so before that, I thought a book should just be prose. But, but that, seeing him, 
um, gave me permission to play with the form of it and have sketches or, or have movie scenes in the middle of the book and stuff like that. Um, on the other hand, like, um, this sound weird, but like Eminem was a big influence on that book. And right. Beyonce were a big influence in that book because um, if you listen to the Marshall Mathers LP, uh, when I heard that, he's rapping about, um, you know, he can't get girls and he's poor and his mom sucks and everybody hates him. And But he was able to write about weakness and, and, and become bulletproof through that. And the same with Beyonce, which was... Um, in Lemonade, she's singing about being cheated on by the dude she stayed with, and and through that, make it a strength. And so that those those kind of influences gave me permission to talk about my own vulnerability, you know. And and um, you know, Nabokov is, is a major influence on me because uh, he's just uh, his prose style is just unbelievable, right. and, and he's writing in a second language, which is just insane. People know you for for your writing, and and people also know that you're a, you were a boxer, and you're hugely passionate about boxing. But you're also very much passionate. I'm I'm not sure whether you still are today, but I, I I'm assuming so. Very passionate about hip hop, rap music, and all of that. Did rap music and and hip hop shape um your writing techniques? Because it, rap as a art form is also very unique in its writing style. Yeah, absolutely. That, that definitely did. Um, it's a, it's a great. Uh, it's a great question. I think um, so now at this point in my career, um, kind of moving, not moving away from writing, but but um, moving into directing my own stuff as well. And so I just had just done this play a few months ago. Um, and on while doing the play, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the play was because I was tired of relinquishing control over rhythm and I wanted control over rhythm. And um, while while doing the play and directing the play, I realized, um, I mean, I knew the rhythm was important to me. Right. There, there are a lot of things that are not important to me. I don't care, I don't care what the color of the tablecloth is. I don't care, you know, are you going to walk in like this or that? It doesn't bother me. But the rhythm is extremely important to me. And, and now in directing, uh, I'm working on this film now that we're working on. And um, the rhythm is extremely important to me. And, and that rhythm all comes from from hip hop and especially there's one rapper MF Doom who plays with rhythm a lot and um, and toys with convention in that sense and also I think there's something that's unique to to hip hop which is the kind of um, collaborative uh, nature of a lot of the songs and the cipher kind of thing where where there's a there's a topic in the chorus or a topic what the song is about and then each rapper only has one verse and they're going to jump on that verse and they're going to rap about this thing, but in a different way and, and um, address it a different way. And, and that's to me, a lot of what dramatic writing is the kind of stuff that I do is like 90% of the time when you're writing a scene, that scene has already happened in another film. You know, it's, it's like the guy's breaking up with his girlfriend or the kids finding out that his parents are divorcing or whatever. And, and that scene has happened many, many times before the trick is not writing it. Well, the trick is, can I present this scene in a way that you haven't seen it before? And I think that kind of listening to hip hop for so many years, um, it just it just kind of um, gave me an innate kind of um, reach or or, or um, understanding that that that's important. That when I hop on this song, that's about the, the the kid being told that his parents are divorcing. I need to do it a different way, and and and, and trying to do that. And that's a big pet peeve of mine when I see students writing when they're writing that scene. And and you could that scene is so generic that I can lift it up and put it in any other movie and right. you wouldn't even notice a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the one of the levels of or one of the kind of um, aspects of craft that's really important is is being able to write something that you've seen before but writing it in a different way. 
On the show with me today is James Tu, screenwriter, playwright, former film critic and author of Paluka 12 Rounds to Fatherhood. We will be right back after the break. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is James Tu, screenwriter, playwright, former film critic and author of Paluka 12 Rounds to Fatherhood and I'm asking him about how to find your voice as a writer. So James, how do you balance staying true to your voice while also you know experimenting with different genres or styles? And this goes back to uh, Uh, you know something you mentioned earlier which is very interesting where for you you said obviously having a voice is important but you said that at one point you felt that your voice uh, became became a bit of a hindrance um or something that held you back rather than propelled you forward so i'm wondering how do you balance because earlier like you said um you realized that you know your style is more suited for comedy rather than let's say writing a, a film like blade runner right um maybe it falls under the the more um shane black kind of um area rather than um let's say doing uh, writing something like um uh, something david fincher would uh, direct perhaps you know although david fincher is one of your favorite directors i'm i'm wondering if let's say if it's not you know an author or if it's not writing a script where you can say okay for the next my my niche is comedy and i'm just going to write comedy forever what if you are a film critic and you know sometimes you will get to review a shane black film um and sometimes you will get to review a film like 12 years a slave but if let's say your style of writing is either very serious or very funny um how do you then do you switch it up when you're writing depending on what movie you're writing about how how do you approach that yeah it's a great question and 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 Shane Black's a great reference as well i should have mentioned him because he was greatly influential on me when i was coming up um something that i think about that maybe younger writers don't yet think about this hmm. sets us apart a little bit is is empathy for for audience and um And it's interesting actually because I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was watching an interview with Rick Rubin and he was talking about how he only makes music for himself and he doesn't care about what the audience thinks but I I don't know if I don't believe it or he just got lucky but I I in my I feel like that's not it's not for everybody. Right. Um and I and I feel like when people are younger writers they only think about what they're doing on the page um and how it makes them feel. They don't they don't think about how it makes the audience feel and, and a lot of and it goes back to the rhythm stuff where I I know that after this beat I need to make you feel this so that you can feel this later and it has to happen at this point and it can't happen later and it can't last for too long and and so on and so forth and and that constant dialogue that I feel with the audience um is very very important and I feel like when you're younger as a writer you're just you don't have the you don't have the control of over the writing yet so you can't even allow yourself to take a step back and think about the audience which is right. totally natural um And so to go back to answering your question if I was if I was asked with my stupid comedic voice to to review um 12 years a slave I think now the first question I would ask myself is what does the audience want from this review if I, if I if I approach this review the same way that I approach Gulliver's Travels or something like that with Jack <laughs> like it's probably going to be considered insensitive right. and and um it's it's going to upset more people than it than it entertains and 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 so i think i would probably 
in an extreme case like that where it's such a heavy topic, I would probably suppress my voice a little bit and, and try to still be personal, try to subjugate voice for personal personal anecdote, I guess, a little bit. And, and so to not remove myself completely, um, but to express myself in a different way. So instead of, you know, making jokes that I would normally make, uh, make the personal reference instead and, and, and to, to talk about how um, these things maybe, you know, remind me of something that happened or affect, made me think about this in a certain way or whatever and, and try to have myself be in the article um, that way rather than by relying on my sense of humor or specifically my voice. And I think that kind of um, elasticity with how you wield your voices. As I get older, uh, you know, I, I try to still all the time improve as a writer and, and try to try to round out my craft, you know, and, um, you know, there's a there's a French artist Henry Matisse, and he like when he was getting later in life, he 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 was too ill to paint, and so he moved into these like um, he would cut out pieces of paper and stick them on other colored pieces of paper, and he was really playing with negative space, and and that like looking at that that work, it really kind of made me think about the importance of not using your voice in a sense, not writing at all actually, and the importance of restraint and like. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, you know, later on, um, I would get hired to do work and fix scripts and stuff like that. And I would, I would take it and I would work on it for a few weeks and I would give it back and I would deliver. And, and they would be like, you didn't write anything. And, and it was true. And in fact, <laughs> I actually took stuff away. But what I started to learn is like, if, if you have this voice and your whole thing is the voice, it can become tiring. There's a level of fatigue that the audience can get and, and, if you're Mamet or you're, you're Nabokov or you're James Joyce and your voice is very strong and your voice is the thing, there's a power in silence, you know. And, and you go back to Fincher. Fincher always says that the audience knows that you can do anything. You can go anywhere. So the question isn't what you do. The question is what you don't do. And I think that learning to shut up <laughs> at the right time is, is a fairly essential aspect of, of, of craft that you come to develop later on after you master your, your voice. Earlier, you mentioned um, something else very interesting, which was, you know, this this whole whether you should you write for yourself or write also keeping the audience in mind. And this is something that um, I think it's a it's a quite a big debate, um, you know, whether it's in the film circles or whether you're writing books. How do you strike that balance um, these days between I need to stick um, as true to myself as possible, but sometimes if you're being incredibly true to yourself, it could mean that what you're writing could be very niche. In that sense, I do write for me. I do write what I want to see, what I want to read. I, I don't care did, does the audience want it or not. Um, I feel like actually that's a major problem, uh, an, an emerging problem with literature and film uh, that is often more and more increasingly being written to service an emotion or to service a desire to talk about a certain subject that that people think that an audience has um, without taking sufficient time to also make that thing entertaining for a larger audience. Um, so I would say, yeah, I, I, in that regard, I don't care. If I want to write about a story, I'll write about it, whether it's niche or not. But at the same time, when I say uh, the dialogue that I feel with the audience, I'm not talking about subject matter. I'm talking about the way that the story is presented in the sense that structurally, I'm talking about this thing that I don't care if you care about it, but it's my job to make you care about it because if you don't, then what, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, it, my job is, as a dramatist, I think, is to entertain. When when I write, if you, if you know, you write a article or I write a film or I write a book or whatever, you bought the book. It, I owe it to you that you at least have a good time here or an engaging time. 
Right. Um, I, I don't I don't take that for granted that you bought my book or you came to watch my play or whatever it is. And so the the dialogue that I feel is like I'm telling this thing. I don't care if you care about it or not, but it is my responsibility to structure it and tell the story in such a way that's going to hit um, pleasure receptors or pain receptors in your head to make you feel a certain way that you feel at least an engagement. It's my job whether I write something about, um, you know, if, if I'm writing about someone who's trying to save the planet for global warming or, or you know, if it's about, if, if I'm writing a story about a dude that loves to kill babies, it's my job to make you interested in this baby killer at the beginning um, to at least see what happens. I think if you break down writing to its most, I mean, if you ask people what writing is, what's the goal when you're writing a story, people are going to tell you that I want to write, you know, a, a, a book that, that has a message that tells a story. But, but if you really, and it's true, but if you really distill it down, my job as a writer is to make sure you turn the page and read the next page. And, and so I need to write in such a way that is compelling enough, whatever the subject is that you want to read that, that next page. And so, um, yes, I don't care. I, I'm going to write what I want to write about, but but I do, I do think that you still need to have a level of respect for the audience that I'm going to do my best now to make, make you care about it, this, this thing that you didn't think you were going to care about. And, um, and whether that's through structure or style or that's through uh, thematic concerns, it's like, you know, if you go, like the Avatar is the, you know, the, the highest grossing movie of all time. It's not because the cinema was packed with space marines. It's because uh, there were a lot of people who felt for the theme of, of, you know, being an outsider or being a, given a second chance or you know, uh, falling in love with this indigenous community and, and saving it or whatever. And, and the themes were universal, but the story was, I'm sure a lot of those people were not particularly bothered about, you know, space expansion and terraforming. And, and so, so in that, that, that's, I guess, my approach to that. Do I worry about, does the audience understand the language or the specific terminology if I'm doing something like that? I think that's a sticky one because um, there, you know, people would argue on that. And, and like Mamet, who's a big influence on me, he had this, this amazing quote where he said, um, amazingly arrogant quote where he said that if I do my job properly, um, future cowboys will speak the way that I wrote them. Um, and, and he was so good that he was actually correct. If you, if you watch any kind of wall street movie, any, any sales or trading movie, all the characters speak like they do in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But, um, I personally don't have that confidence in myself, but, uh, but I will, I will write to the highest level intelligence in my audience and not the lowest. Um, if I'm writing something that's very specific, it's more important. And authenticity is the most important thing to me. So if, if they would use this terminology, then I'll, I'll use the terminology. And it's going to be a question of, um, is it so dense that I need to bring in a audience proxy character who can be like, wait, what was that? And then have them explain it to right. me organically. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to change the language to make it more, um, more uh, understandable to a wider audience um and and these things are they're generally a, a very slippery slope i think if you like there was a, a tv series of deadwood um 15 years ago and mm -hmm. and the guy who wrote that david milch he, he he wrote the script if you've ever seen deadwood it's very shakespearean mm -hmm. it's very verbose the way that they talk and so you delivered the script to hbo and they were like ah dude we're not doing this the cowboys don't talk like this this is ridiculous nobody's gonna buy this and he went back and he and he did the research and he found that what actually happened was that in the 30s and 40s, when when um, a Jewish community took over uh, a position of power in Hollywood, 
they decided that their priority was to consolidate this power as outsiders coming in. And the way that they were going to do that was to make Westerns, which everybody loved, and they were going to have the characters speak as little as possible so as not to offend anybody. Right. And they just made these movies over and over again. And, and oh, as a result, there was this uh, perception that cowboys were tough, uh, you know, men of few words. And it wasn't true. It was, it was just a, an industrial imperative. And, 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 and so that kind of like, is this authentic to the way people speak? I think an argument could be made for, for, for either side. When you find your voice or in your process of finding your voice, should your voice be a character or personality you create and can tap into whenever you want to or whenever you write? Or should it be an extension of your own personality or can can it be both? Because you do see some writers use pseudonyms and then it when you read the book, it really does not um, you know, it doesn't read, it doesn't feel like the another book when they are using a different name. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a cool skill to have. Uh, I did that for for years on Joe Blow. The, the Joe Blow was kind of positioned as like the frat boy of, right. of of film criticism, and so I had to really play into that. And um, on the one hand, uh, it was an incredible learning experience and really kind of honed um, the ability to write comedy and also uh, the ability to take criticism. Um, but at the same time, uh, that character, it took some time to kind of like get out of that character and, and return to my voice and really kind of find my voice. And so um, I think it's really cool if you have that skill. I don't have that skill because um, I just kind of, um, I can't help, I guess, at this point, but to inject myself into anything that I write. And and maybe it's an age thing, you know, now I'm, 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 I'm 40 now and uh, I don't really have any interest in, in playing somebody else. I, I just want to write about my own stuff and, and be me. So. Have you um, co-written a script with someone else? And if you do co-write a, a script with someone else or if you're planning to do it, how do you ensure that you are maintaining your unique writing voice? Um, but also then mashing well with someone else who is um, your co-writer. It's tough. I mean, I don't really like to... to I mean, I write because I don't want to deal with other people. <laughs> uh, like Paulo Coelho said, writing is the world's most solitary pursuit. Right. Um, I think if I... I mean, I have co-written a few times, um, but those times where we co-wrote, it was, it was accepted that... I, I, think, I think a large problem... I see generally in the arts industry is a redundancy of skills. Um, and so I think if I was to, to do, if I was to co-write with somebody, um, I think I, I, I would need to have a, an understanding of what am I bringing to the table and what are you bringing to the table? It's not just we sit down and we're going to write the script together. It's, am I the voice? Are you the structure? Are you the theme? Are you the, the characters? Mm. Um, if it's your voice, then 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 I'll I'll facilitate in other ways, and and I'll, I'll do the character work. I'll help you with the story, and I and we can we can write dialogue together, whatever. But you're going to have the final say because this is this is your you're the voice. If it's my voice, then then I have the final say, kind of thing. And I think I think that division would be the only way that I can see this being functional. So I know you know it's it's not there's there's no sort of a hack to this, right? At the end of the day, you need to write, you need to write, and you need to write more. Um. But are there any specific exercises um, or practices that you would recommend to help aspiring writers discover and nurture their unique voice? Sure. I mean, I think, I think, um, and it probably would sound counterintuitive, but I think writing 
in a different genre or even even if you like you take somebody else's film an existing film or in a different genre or whatever it is and and write it yourself in your voice i think that's the best way to kind of um to show yourself what what you value differently um what you um the way that you approach things differently and all these things are going to inform your voice so if you take a scene that somebody else has written um, they're gonna, they're gonna, and if you can truly kind of break it down and and work from a position of, of zero, um, then then you're gonna pretty quickly, I think, see. Oh, this is what I care about, actually. Like for me, um, certainly, it's pretty obvious if you read scripts that I write. The ninety percent of the time, I'm writing about a father-son relationship, where it's whether it's in the book, it's it's literally me and my dad. Um, but in most of the scripts that I write, it's about a, f- a father-daughter or it's like a surrogate parent. Somebody doesn't have a parent, someone's looking for a parent. And, and that's the thing that, um, that I find most interesting and, 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 and my voice uh, fits to. And, um, and I think if you, if you approach, if you take any scene from a movie um, and you just say, okay, forget the setup, forget the location, um, and just say, okay, these are the characters and this is what each character wants and just write it, I think you'll find pretty quickly that, oh, oh, that's what I care about. That's that's the kind of voice that I have. And, and I think that's a good exercise to do. You know, they say live experiences changes you, right? And even as an audience, um, something you may watch, let's say when you were a kid, um, and then you find the movie boring, but then when you're a father, you may suddenly resonate with the movie more. Um, does that also change you as an as a writer? I'm wondering, has your voice, um, has your writing style changed now that you're a father of two daughters? Um, do you feel that you are just an example, for example, less rough around the edges because you're like, okay, what if my daughter reads this? You know, uh, how is she going to take this? You know, that, that sort of thing. Do, do those things um, complain to your mind? Yeah, great question. And and something actually that's, I mean, you and I haven't spoken for a long time, but um, something that's been top of mind for me uh, recently. Um, no, uh, hasn't changed in, in terms of um, how rough around the edges this, and, and personal and, and uh, the style is. But certainly, um, I think, I think, it's, I think it's less as I get old. I mean, no, it's, it's as I get older, but I also feel like audiences are changing rapidly. Um, and uh, I think, I mean, if we'd had this interview maybe two months ago, I would have been in the midst of a real existential crisis about who I am as a writer and what I want to do. <laughs> my values or my goals have changed mm. a little bit, I think. Um, I think uh, part of the reason why I had this kind of existential crisis was um, I had the aspiration that, um, you know, 20 years from now when my kids grow up and they're like, I wonder what dad did. Um, they'll they'll look back through my stuff and be like, oh, dad was actually a pretty good writer. But there was, I can't remember what it was, maybe like three weeks ago, there was just a, a, a series of events that just uh, in the immediate destroyed my um, relationship or trust with the audience, but then gave me an immediate release and freedom, mm. which was I... I had some students and some people that I knew who were in my Instagram and I it just so happened like over this weekend, I saw a few stories that, that said the same thing, which was um, there was a there was an interactive piece of uh, Halloween theater over here in Singapore. Um, it was a very small project, probably, you know, put together in a couple of weeks. 
And the, the Instagram stories were all um, genius, written by a genius, produced by geniuses. And I was like, all right, doubt it, but okay, maybe. And then the next day, same people, um, Killers of the Flower Moon, kind of boring. And I was like, how? <laughs> but, how but hasn't that always cool? been the case, James? That's the tale of as old as time, right? I mean, Transformers will make a yeah. billion dollars, not everything everywhere all at once. I mean, that's that's different. That's that's financial reward. I'm talking about quality. That one thing was genius. This thing that was probably written in a week, staged in a couple of <laughs> genius. Martin Scorsese worked on this for 10 years with the greatest actor of our generation, the greatest set designer, the greatest editor. Ah, kind of mid. And like in the, in the moment, I was, I was really sad um, because I thought I'm never going to get the reviews that, that, um, that I, I wish my daughters would read. Um, but then at the same time, it was like, um, dude, if Scorsese can't get a fair objective review, then, mm-hmm. then what, what, what hope do I have? So it's right. pointless to kind of chase that. And so I have become a different writer in the sense that um, I used to be very kind of anti-system, anti-industry. And I still am anti-industry in the sense of like, I don't want to go through the industry system, but, but I am much more... Um, much more interested in writing things that are commercially viable than I was before because um, the values that have changed are, you know, it's it's romantic to be a struggling artist when you don't have kids. Now it's more, um, I need to write stuff that Netflix is going to buy right. um, and to provide. And so, um, so the values have changed a little bit, but, but, but not, not, I will not compromise. Um, <laughs> I will not compromise the voice, no. Before we wrap this conversation, would you have a, a final message or an advice for aspiring writers um, who are trying to find their voice? Don't do that. That's just <laughs> that's not a good idea. I hope my kids are not writers. I will deter them. I think like Mamet had this thing where he said like, you just shouldn't do it unless and the only people who are writers should be people who can't do, who can't not do it. Um, and James, just no this how, is Singapore changing you, James. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I mean. Being serious, I guess, uh, I mean, like Ray Bradbury said, that you should just read every day and and, and, um, and write intensely. And, and I definitely share that view. Just, I think we have too many writers and not enough readers, I would say. I think reading is very, very important. It's, it's, it's staggering how many people come to class uh, wanting to be screenwriters and, and have never read a script before. I, I, don't, I don't know how that's possible. And so, yeah, man, just read, write, and, and, and have your work be um, critiqued and, and, and understand that it's just uh, part of the process, right? On that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Dash. That was James Tu, scriptwriter, playwright, author of Paluka, 12 Rounds to Fatherhood. This conversation is also available on podcasts. You can find us on the BFM app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.